this is Bill Lytell, pastor of Gospel Baptist Church and School. Uh, these are definitely different and crazy days that we live in, and uh, I want you to know that uh, we're praying for you. We've tried to, if you have not received a phone call, if you're a member or friend of Gospel Baptist Church on our list, you should have received a phone call from us uh, this week. If you haven't, please let me know about it, but let us know about it, and we will make sure we get a hold of you, make sure you're doing okay. If you have any needs, you call the church. We're here to help you and to make it happen, especially if you're a shut-in, a widow, uh, physically infirm in some way. We want to help you every way possible to make this thing easier for you. Uh, the message that I'm preaching is probably going to be preached all across America, maybe, yay, across the world by God's men that stand behind the pulpit. Um, the message title is, What Should We Do in a Time of Pestilence? Now, if you want to view this uh, or other messages in the future, we're, we will be on Facebook at 11 o'clock and 6 o'clock at night. We'll also be on sermonaudio.com. We will we'll be on gospelbaptistchurch.com. You can hit sermons and it'll take you to it. Also, iTunes podcast. Gospel Baptist Church, so four different places you can view these. We now are putting up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and are planning on bringing in a Sunday school lesson uh, this coming week. So hopefully it'll help you as we go through this uh, strange time of separation that we're in. We've been praying for America. I believe you've been praying for America. If you've lived very long, you know that these are strange things. I mean, since 1918, as far as we know, nothing in America has happened anything close to what we're seeing today. In my time, at 68 years old, never heard of churches being shut down, asked to shut down, uh, voluntarily asked to close to, to kind of restrict the spreadage of this so to help our old, old folks and protect them, which I am one. And so uh, we're doing the best we can with what we have, uh, meeting week by week to see what we should do. So what should we do in a time of pestilence? The Bible is very, very specific in its instructions and clear where pestilence comes from. Uh, let me give you a little background of our passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Hopefully you have your Bibles there. You can open them up, electronic Bible, look it up. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. Uh, David was, uh, had in his heart, uh, after he was made king, he had in his heart to build a house for God so that there could be sacrifices for God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, there, that just tells me there was something about David that God really liked. Uh, as a young man, at 18, 19, 20 years old, somewhere in that area, I read through this passage and, and saw how God really loved David. He just loved who David was and how he reacted to situations that he found himself in. And I carefully looked at what he did and how he reacted and how he was called a, a man after God's own heart. And I, I, would, I prayed to him. I got on my knees and said, God, please. Please, whatever you saw in David, may, may you see that in me. Whatever characteristic it was that you saw in David and said, man, I, I, I like that, uh, what, the way he's treating me and the way he acts towards me. 
the way His Spirit is towards me. May I have that kind of spirit. And I've continued through all these years to say, please give me the spirit of David. May I have the heart of David. But David was made the king of Israel. God promised to bless him and his children as long as they would obey him. They would reign on the throne of the children of Israel. David reigned some 40 years, uh, and Solomon followed him as king, which also reigned some 40 years. Solomon did not have to experience war like David did. David was a man of war. It says Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands. David was a man of war. He was, I'm going to say, supernaturally skilled with the use of the bow, a spear, the sling, and a sword. He, he, was, he must have been some kind of a dynamo when it came to a combat. Uh, super, like I say, supernaturally, really. Uh, he did all that, and he conquered the lands around Israel. He built their wealth up. He built their nation up to where they were one of the premier kingdoms of all that earth at, the earth at that time. And so David got in his heart. He wanted to do something for God. He wanted to build a house for God. But, you know, God said, no, I'm, I'm not ready for that. Look in First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 7 through 8. It says, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my heart or my mind to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house under my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. I believe we can learn from that that God, there's something about the shedding of blood, even if it's done in, if I'm, please excuse my expression here, but in a right way. He was not condemning David for going to war. He was not condemning, he was told by David to go to war. Or told by God, excuse me, God told David to go to war. And so God was not condemning David for doing what he did. He was just saying, because you've shed so much blood in war, I just am not comfortable, if I may put it that way, of you building my house to my name, but your son will. And I, I appreciate the fact that Solomon, when he started out, was a humble young man. First Kings chapter 3, verse 7 through 10 says, And now, O Lord my God, these are Solomon's words, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child, and I know not how to go out or come in. That's First Kings 3, 7 through 10. Phenomenal. What an attitude. And he says, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for a multitude. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And notice the last verse here in verse 10 that I'm quoting. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Wow. What I see in that prayer is I see a man little in his own eyes. Oh, dear one, let's just pause right here. One of the, one of the things, if you want God to love you like, and to treat you and to be pleased with your life like he was with David, and in this case in the early part of Solomon's life, be little in your own sight. There are no big shots in the kingdom of heaven. 
There's just little people and with a big God. Uh, there are people without gifts with a God that has a lot of gifts. There are people without power with a God that has great power. We don't brag about the people of God. We brag about the God of the people. Uh, we lift him up. And that's what he did there. He said, I'm a little child. I don't even know how to go out or come in. That, that's like a one-year-old, uh, maybe one-and-a-half-year-old, maybe, maybe even a two-year-old. But usually by two, they didn't know how to come in and go out. So he's putting himself down in, in the sight of God, really in a, in a correct way. And he said, I can't judge and I can't do this leadership position you've given me. Because I, 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 I cannot know what's good and what's bad without your help. Man, what a lesson in that. You know, sometimes we get pretty arrogant about knowing what's good and what's bad. I mean, everything in the world is judged through our eyes. The Bible says a man's right in his own eyes. We got like a catch-22 built within us and that it can hurt us if we don't understand it. So you may look at something and have everything lined up and say, this is the way it is. That was, the way, that was not the attitude of David. That was not the attitude of Solomon early on. Solomon says, I can't do this. I don't know how to judge good and bad. But this is a great people that you've made me king over. And how in the world am I supposed to judge these folks? The Bible says God was pleased about that. Now, we ought to note that. Uh, everybody that's wanting to serve God ought to take real time and look at this and meditate over that. Uh, so Solomon, when he first started, uh, he was humble. He was, he was tenderhearted towards God. Uh, David's purpose to build the house, uh, Solomon was able and chosen by God to pick up and to do. So Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. Most of you know the story here. Most of you know the statistics. David had, had literally collected, one time I did a study on this, almost $4 billion in our money worth of gold and silver and precious stones and cut stones and, and the materials to build the temple. Literally $4 billion of our money. I, haven't, I, haven't, I I've seen a lot of buildings built, but I don't remember ever hearing about a $4 billion dollar building even in our day it took seven solid years to build the bible says that, that it was built off site and brought on site and assembled that was a, a archaeological uh, uh wonder in itself they cut these stones uh brought the stones to the temple area put the stones together but the bible said there was not the sound of a chisel and a hammer under the seven years of construction. Wow. Uh, those people were, were all over it. It was, it was a big deal. It was considered some, by some as the seventh wonder of, the, of that known world. No doubt the most expensive project ever uh, committed to by the children of Israel. And so now the time of dedication, after seven years of watching this and being excited about this thing, all Israel put their hands to the building of the temple. They were all over it. Man, the temple's going to be done. Now, some of us have been out of church, uh, what, for uh, this is our fourth week of being out of services. Now, uh, in my whole life, uh, I've never heard of the church not having services. So this is a new thing to me. And I know I'm already hearing people calling me and saying, Preacher, we got to open up. Preacher, we want to open up. Let's do this. Let's have services. I like to hear people getting excited about coming to the house of God. I hate to hear people say, oh, well, Sunday's here. Got to go to church. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. It's a privilege to go to church. And I think one thing, if God's doing anything by this uh, virus, he's teaching the children of God, you get to go to church. You should be thrilled to go to church. You should be eager to go to church. You should anticipate going to church. 
and not ever have the attitude, oh, I have to go to church. What a horrible thing. What an insult that is to God that, that paid his, shed his blood and paid the price so that we could have this thing called church and people meet together. So we see the time comes. Tens of thousands of animals are gathered together for sacrifice. He sacrificed so many animals they, they couldn't even number them. And then it comes time for the prayer of dedication. This is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 28 through 31. And he says, and I want you to notice carefully, and I'll try to emphasize this as I go down, down through this. If there be a dearth, well, that's not a word we commonly use, but it means a famine in the land. If there be pestilence, you can also use a synonym for that, plague. If there be a blasting or mildew or locusts or caterpillars, if, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, and he just to some, the summation statement is, whatsoever sore or whatsoever sickness there be, in case it wasn't mentioned here, he says, if some sort of a calamity comes your way, are we in a calamity? Are we in a plague? It's worldwide. People are calling it a plague. President Trump called it a plague. Verse 29, then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man of all the people of Israel, when everyone shall know his own sore, his own grief, shall spread forth his hands in this house. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and render unto every man according to unto all his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men that they may fear thee and walk in thy ways so long as they live on the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. God responds. We find in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 1-2, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. That's the old Shekinah glory we talk about. That's the very presence, the manifest presence of God came in so strong that in verse 2, and the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Boy, boy to be there the day that that happened. After Solomon, they put the offering lightning as it were fire from heaven whatever way you want to whatever way you want to cook it that was phenomenal and then the glory of the lord come god but through solomon sends the people home after a great feast time together that had never been done before uh and then in second chronicles chapter 7 verse 12 through 14 now everything i've said to this point is to help you understand the context of where i'm going I'm going to this context because it's important you understand what I've said before this, before we read the actual verses 12 through 13. That I'm not somehow just plucking this out of the Bible because we're having a hard time or because we're having a virus or because we're having a real, our churches have been asked to close for a while. This was written 1000 B.C. That's right, right a little over 3000 thousand years ago and we can learn just by the fact that it's been that long ago and so we, let me read and the lord appeared to solomon by night and said unto him 
I have heard thy prayer. I've chosen this place to my, for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I, if I, if I, notice the I there. God's taking the credit. He said, if I shut up heaven, that there be a drought, no rain. And he's not talking about having a little bit of a dry season or having a little drier, dry season than normal. He's talking about having a drought where the crops won't grow. We've seen it worldwide. We've seen some of it. There was a thing called the Dust Bowl a while back where people were farming a very fertile farmland and in the middle of our country, the breadbasket of our country, and there was a drought that came and, and literally wiped those whole, that, whole, that whole group of people out, drove them out of the area. It's happened. But, but he says, if I, or if I, if I, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I, if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what will happen? Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. There's a few things I want to point out about this passage maybe can help us understand what's going on and really make a difference in it by how we react. God tells His people what to do in a crisis, yea, even in a pestilence or a plague as we're in now. First of all, He says, understand my sovereignty. Understand that I, as God, have allowed this to happen. As in Job's case, where Job went to God and asked him to do something against Job, God gave permission to the devil to harm Job. So you could say that the devil harmed Job, but honestly, you know the permission was given by God. What we learn from the book of Job is not one hair of a born-again believer's head will hit the ground without the permission of God. What we learn is that God is a sovereign God, does not let the devil come in and ravish us or hurt us without express, if I may put it this way as we do in, a, in our own business, express written permission. Uh, it's, it's not tacit permission or implied permission. It is absolute permission. So I can, as a born-again believer, the first thing I know that this thing has come upon America and the world has been sent to us by God. Well, as a born-again believer, that helps me. It, the devil is not, the devil may have his hand in it, no doubt about it. But if he is, it's because God has given permission to do it. In other words, it has a supernatural purpose from heaven. Historically, that purpose is usually to get God's people's attention to call them back from their hard-hearted, stiff-necked, casual attitude about his business and who he is. Secondly, we learn from this that it's not going to be unique. Some 3,000 years ago, he tells these people under King Solomon, look, it's not if this comes, it's when it comes. These things are coming. You're going to have droughts. You're going to have, you know, this climate change stuff. 
you're going to have climate change. That's what he's telling you. You're going to have, drought is a serious radical climate change. Uh, a few years ago, they were saying we were going to freeze to death and we're going to go another ice age. Now they say we're going to we're going to all cook up. Now they say they don't know what they're going back and forth. That's because man doesn't have control of the weather, and God's not going to give man control of the weather. That's under His control. And he's the one that's going to allow it to either get hot or to cold or stay the same. So God regularly sends plagues through the world to get our attention. You say, Brother Bill, now, especially if you're not very old, you may, you may think something like this. I know it's only, it, it happened, I, I'm pretty sure the last one in America was 1918. But I went back on the internet, began to look around at plagues, worldwide plagues and horrific things that have happened. And I actually was amazed at how many of these have come upon the world before me. Uh, how about smallpox? Now, if you look at pictures of people that have had smallpox, it is a disfiguring, horrible, horrible death and disease that people have got to go through smallpox. Smallpox. Wow. I mean, any of you that know much about uh, history know that smallpox ravaged the world. They came up with a vaccine. I've had the smallpox vaccine. My son, born in 1971, he had the smallpox vaccine, but his wife, who was also born in 1971, but is a little younger than he, she didn't have the smallpox vaccine. Because in 71, I believe, it was the line where they felt that smallpox had been eradicated so much that nobody from that point on needed to be uh, have a vaccine. Interesting, huh? But smallpox at one time was everywhere, all over the world, ravaging the world. A yellow fever. When the, uh, when the people from Europe came over here to the Aztecs and the, and the, and the various tribes, the, the, I'm trying to think of some of the names of them right now that aren't coming to me, but uh, they, something specifically the Aztecs, but there's three major groups of the people in South America. The yellow fever came and wiped them out. It wasn't the Spanish who came here and shot all those folks in Mexico and South America and took their treasure. It was that they brought a disease from Europe that these folks over here had absolutely no immunity to and had never seen yellow fever, and it wiped them out. Cholera wiped the world out. Scarlet fever wiped the world out through a period of time. Typhoid went throughout the world. Spanish flu, diphtheria, polio. I was raised with polio. I was five years old, I believe, or four and a half, five, when I got the vaccine, which was finally developed in 1955. Well, I was born in 51, so I was exposed to this over, over four years. My brother got it. Uh, there were young people dying every summer from it, put in a horrific thing called an iron lung. It would, it would paralyze people from their neck down. It was merciless. And just so, so damaging to families. You have one child or two children, one maybe die, one maybe cripple the rest of his life. They eventually came up with a vaccine for polio, which, by the way, was a virus also. A measles, whooping cough, AIDS. In my lifetime, you and most of your lifetime, remember when AIDS came up, uh, HIV. Uh, and began to kill hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people uh, through that. Uh, the, now the coronavirus, just to mention a few of these, by the way, not mentioning 
are given much time to cancer and diabetes and heart disease and pneumonia and, the, and just the seasonal flu, which I believe last year killed some 62,000 people in the United States. Now look, this, these things have been around us all the time, but we've grown kind of casual. We've kind of grown used to them, haven't we? And so we see that all these things, whatever it is, whether it be weather or whether it be a plague of locusts or whether it be some sort of a disease, comes from God by His permission. Secondly, they're not new and they're not unique. Thirdly, God is in the nation building business, not man. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 says of, of Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Uh, we also find here in Psalm chapter 33, verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people to whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so it is God that raises a nation up, and it's God that puts a nation down. Something that alarms me and maybe bothers you as a Christian is when we see people in politics getting up there and talking about the, the resolve and the courage and the character of the American people has made America great. No. no. God made America great. God was the one, through the born-again believers that came over here, persecuted from England, and began to settle this land and honor him and put him in his rightful place, and honor the old King James Bible that they brought with them, and began to live righteously and honestly, and God was pleased with that, like he was with Solomon when he prayed, and he raised up America. He caused us to win World War I. He caused us to win World War II. And any war we ever go in, he'll cause us to win or lose, and based upon his desire and his perception of who we are. God has caused this virus here to shake us up as a nation. Then we come to verse 14. This is what I call the formula for pestilence, the formula for drought, the formula for anything of, and it would be named a calamity to come. He says, if my people, which are called by my name. It's about God's people. I know the, you say, well, what about the world? The world's the world. Let me say this. Sinners do what sinners do. A duck quacks, a chicken clucks, a bird flies. You can't blame them for that. A, a, a sinner's sin. They're born with a sin nature. They sin because why? They have a sin nature. They sin because they have a sin nature. And so the fact that the world sins, not anything new on earth. Sinners sin. God says what I care about is when my people sin. I care about people that have been redeemed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus and, and, and received the Holy Spirit of God and been filled. I care when they, that which have no excuse for going back like a, like, a, like a pig going back into the wallowing of the mire. Once they've been brought out of that, there's no worse insult to God and you can't do any more despite to the grace of God than to go back in that old filthy pen of sin and wallow in it again. God says, I'm not going to put up with that. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and shall pray 
and shall seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What is humbling yourself? Well, I believe one way of humbling yourself is fasting. People love food about as much as they love about existence. Uh, don't take too long without food before your mind focuses on food and your body begins to crave food. Through the years here at the gospel, we've called fasts, seven-day fasts, numbers of seven-day fasts. Um, I personally have been through uh, where you have nothing but water for seven days. And I'll tell you what, your, your knees will get weak. You get short uh, on energy. Uh, you, you get feeble. And what you, what you immediately learn is your spirit is different from your body. Because during that fast, your spirit is made fat. My memory gets better during a fast. My spirit and, and my prayer life gets better during a fast. My, my relationship with God is better during a fast because I'm not emphasizing the body. I'm separate. I mean, I'm not telling you to fast till you die or to fast. I'm not telling you uh, uh, self-mutilation or, or any kind of personal sacrifice to the body is somehow holy. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if a person simply sets food aside, you can set a meal aside. You may, you may miss breakfast in the name of Jesus. You may miss lunch in the name of Jesus or, or supper. Uh, you may give up something in the name of Jesus that you really like, and you say, by the grace of God, I'm fasting on that particular item, or I'm fasting this particular meal. Or you may decide that you're able to fast for an entire day. Uh, and by the grace of God, you say, I'm not going to eat an entire day. Now, during the time I normally eat, I'm going to seek God's face. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to put me in a spirit of communication to him during that period of fasting. That's what's that. Fasting is not, there's no virtue in not eating. There is virtue in seeking God. And so if you fast, you humble yourself before God. Uh, maybe uh, you take more time than usual just to seek God's person, his presence, his power. You stop doing the things that displease God. We need to look at our life. My people which are called on the name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I believe one of the reasons this could be we're having this in America today because I've watched the church of Jesus Christ. Now I'm talking about people who claim to be born again, who claim to believe the Bible, who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not questioning that. They say they are, okay. But their life and their activities contradict their words. Churches have brought in the world's music, the demon music, call it what you want, rock and roll, it's nothing less than that. You can call it CCM. You can call it Christian contemporary music. You can call it whatever you want. You can say, oh, I can worship through that music. Everywhere in the Old Testament, the, the children of Israel took the things of the world and brought them into their worship for Jehovah. They were condemned. They were destroyed in many cases if they wouldn't separate from that. Why would it be any different? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God had changes not. If a God who hated bringing worldliness into his service back then is the same God that hates to bring worldliness in the, in the services now. I don't care how much people want to say, oh, that was a real upper boy. That was a real, ooh, I love that service. They got black lights. Where did they get the idea of black light? The world. Where did they get the idea of fog? The world. Where did they get the idea of painting the ceiling black and the floor black and the walls black? You say, they don't do that. Oh, yes, they do. They got it from the world. 
Where did they get the idea of fog machines with the laser light show while they're singing praises unto God? The world. Where did they get the music for all that? The world. Now I'm not talking about, you notice I haven't mentioned the words. I have mentioned the music, the atmosphere. They've taken, and I well, before I got right with God, I went to quite a few rock and roll concerts and dances. I know some of what I'm talking about. There is no difference from the rock and roll that I enjoyed and the sin that I participated in in those things and in those, those dark dance places and, and music concerts and rock and roll than you find in a contemporary Christian uh, music festival. In fact, as I look at TV, I'll run by some of those. You can't tell the difference because if you can't understand the words, you cannot tell the difference in looks or anything that's going on. Now, what am I trying to say? God doesn't like that. He never has liked that. He never will like that. So how does he tell you he doesn't like it? Pestilence? Famine? Some other calamity that he sends? Maybe your enemies come in, take over? I think we have an enemy at the door. Politically, you know. I've been praying real hard lately. God, keep the Democrats back. I'm not talking about every Democrat ever born. I'm talking about the people that believe in aborting a child right up to birth okay. That's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I don't care what they call themselves, but right now it seems to be the platform of the Democratic Party to every wild and bizarre, wicked activity they're claiming to be theirs. So I'm just saying what they say. Transgender is okay. No, it's not. God forbid. It's an abomination to God. And when born-again Christians begin to bring the world into their worship of the holy God he, that said, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. No wonder we got the virus all over the world. But you know what's wonderful? We can help stop it. We can help stop it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I mean, take some time to seek God. God, if there be anything uh, between you and me, show me. If there's anything that I'm speaking or doing or saying that's displeasing in your sight, Father, show it to me and I'll turn from it. I mean, in honesty, coming before him, spending some time and saying, God, I'm willing to move. Well, we're right in our own eyes. I can't see it. I'm blind to it. Let me see it, Father. Please let me see myself as you see me. That's what it's saying. If my people should call by name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Not in name only, but really. You've been watching movies that you shouldn't watch? Burn them. You've been, you, you got, you're into Netflix or HBO, stuff you know. David said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eye. You've been doing that? Get rid of it. Cancel the thing. Computers or an avenue of backsliding and looking at pornography or women the way you shouldn't or men the way you shouldn't. Uh, get rid of your phone if you got to. Go back to the flip phone. That's heresy right there to most people. If, you, if you're having trouble with it, by the way, I'm not speaking off the top of my head. 95% on a blind survey of born-again Christians are having trouble with pornography, especially young people. But not only young people. Old men struggle with it also. Under, under blind survey. Entertainment, our music displeasing to God, our entertainment displeasing to God. 
We're into open immorality. I'm hearing preachers getting divorced and staying right in the pulpit in direct violation of the Word of God. I'm hearing women being, being ordained to preach the gospel and being heads of churches in direct violation of God. And I'm not speaking as just a person here. I speak on the authority of the written Word of God. I challenge you to look in the Bible. I challenge you to listen to what I tell you and go look in the Bible to see if it's not so. Our language, our service is displeasing to God. He says, if you'll come back, if you'll mean business, I'll hear from heaven. Glory to God. The righteous cry, the Lord heareth, deliver them out of all their trouble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Lord delivereth them out of them all. He'll hear from heaven, he'll forgive their sin, and glory to God, he'll heal our land. He'll heal our land. One prayer I've had for many years is, God, please let me live long enough to see abortion made illegal again in America. I lived when it was illegal. I've lived while it's been legal. And I want to live while it's illegal again. Just one more time. Just a few days. But let me see a country, uh, by the way, a Christian-based, Christ-based, Bible-based country historically. And you can't refute that. That we go back to obeying God. Caring about what he says. What's God got to do to us? What does he have to do to shake us up? To get us to do what he said here. He said, I'll heal their land. I'll heal their land. Now, I'm an old boy. I'm on my way out. You say, I don't, maybe, I don't, you say, Preacher Bill, you don't have as much to lose. No, I don't have as much to lose as some 25-year-old or some 27-year-old who's just got a new family and raising children. They're the ones going to face the firestorm if God's people don't turn back to Him. But from this old preacher, I pray that you, with the things I say today, you not get offended to the place where you turn it off or get offended to the place where you turn away, but I pray that you get offended enough in your own sin that you turn away from the sin, you turn away from your casual attitude about the things of God, you turn away from your, your genericizing the things of God and separate away from the world. And don't and see if God won't help us. By the way, how many does it take, preacher? Well, in Sodom, it just took ten, but they couldn't find ten. Preacher, how many does it take? I don't know, but percentage-wise, would be the same. If God will just find it, let me call, let me say it, the ten in America. It's bigger than ten because of our population. But if God will find that same percentage in America that'll love Him and and be honest with him, and like David, have a heart of David, God will come, he'll hear us from heaven, he'll forgive our sins, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he'll heal our land. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.